Chapter 3, The Dull Lake Harun had already smelled unhappiness on the night air, and this sudden mist positively stank of sadness and gloom. We should have stayed home, he thought. No shortage of long faces there. Foo! shouted Rashid Khalifa's voice through the greeny-yellow mist. Who made that smell? Come on, admit. Potty talk again, Mr. Doyle? Yeah, I know. I think that we're going to have to just be a little mature about it, and let's not be too cheeky, and let's get back to reading. I'll check my cheek. It's the mist, Harun explained. It's a mist of misery. But at once, Snooty Batu's voice cried out, Lenient Mr. Rashid, it seems the boy wants to cover up his stink-making with inventions. I fear he is too much like the folk of this foolish valley. Crazy for make-believe. What I must put up with. My enemies hire cheap fellows to stuff the people's ears with bad stories about me. And the ignorant people just lap it up like milk. For this reason, I have turned eloquent Mr. Rashid to you. You will tell happy stories, praising stories, and the people will believe you and be happy and vote for me. No sooner had but two uttered these words than a harsh, hot wind blew across the lake. The mist was dispersed, but now the wind burned into their faces, and the waters of the lake became choppy and wild. It's not in the least dull, this lake, exclaimed Harun. In fact, it's positively temperamental. That is exactly what I was thinking. So, could you elaborate? Well, it sounds like it's a very exciting lake and not at all dull, the way the waters are choppy and wild, and a lot seems to be going on there. It's ironic, no? Don't you think? I do. Let's hear about Moodyland, then. In fact, it's positively temperamental. As the words left his lips, a penny dropped. This must be the Moodyland, he burst out. Now, the tale of the Moodyland was one of Rashid Khalifa's best-loved stories, It was the story of a magical country that changed constantly, according to the moods of its inhabitants. In the moody land, the sun would shine all night if there were enough joyful people around, and it would go on shining until the endless sunshine got their nerves. Then, an irritable night would fall, a night full of mutterings and discontent, in which the air felt too thick to breathe. And when people got angry, the ground would shake. And when people were muddled or uncertain about things... The moody land got confused as well. The outlines of its buildings and lampposts and motor cars got smudgy, like paintings whose colors had run. And at such times it could be difficult to make out where one thing ended and another began. Am I right? Harun asked his father. Is this the place the story was about? It made sense. Rashid was sad, so the mist of misery enveloped the swan boat, and Snooty Batu was so full of hot air that it wasn't surprising he'd conjured up this boiling wind. The moody land was only a story, Harun, Rashid replied. Here, we're somewhere real. When Harun heard his father say, only a story, he understood that the Shah of Blah was very depressed indeed because only deep despair could have made him say such a terrible thing. Rashid, meanwhile, was arguing with Snooty Butt, too. Surely you don't want me to tell just sugar and spice tales, he protested. Not all good stories are of that type. People can delight in the saddest of sob stuff, 
as long as they find it beautiful. Okay, sorry to jump in again so soon, but I think that this is a really important thing to consider. Uh, We as humans seem to be really intrigued by and entertained by even super sad stories. This reminded me of how, you know, shows like Grey's Anatomy have been on for a million years and people are still watching that. It's very sad. Uh, But I do think that there's beauty sometimes in that sadness, just in the emotion that is expressed or shared or exchanged between the characters. And we're drawn to that for sure. Good. And last chapter, we stopped to talk about the yin and yang um, between good and evil, um, light and dark. And I think that in the same way, this connects to that concept that um, that you can't have the beauty in life without the, the sadness as well to go along with it. Definitely. All right. So Snooty Batu flew into a rage. Nonsense, nonsense, he shrieked. Terms of your engagement are crystal clear. For me, you will please to provide upbeat sagas only. None of your gloom puss yarns. If you want pay, then just be gay. All right, so why don't we stop right here and process a little bit because I would love to hear what you have to say about the moody land. What do you think about the moody land? Well, I think it's sort of amazing to imagine a physical space where... Um, people's emotions were dictating kind of the the way the weather felt and and the environment of the whole place. I think sometimes when we're sad or happy, we feel that in our environment. But to actually imagine it as being a real place, I, I think was sort of a beautiful thing to read. I also like the part there where it seems to call back to a story that Rashid has told before. Right. And so I think maybe Haroon was imagining that those, all, this place was only a story, only made up, but is the idea that it could be real challenges him. And then, of course, we get to this part where uh, Haroon is hearing his dad say, oh, that was only a story. And if Haroon has learned anything from his father is that nothing is only a story. So I think this must be a little bit hard for Haroon to reconcile this change in, in sort of where his dad is coming from as far as stories go. Yeah, I would agree with that. So um, let's move on from there. At once the hot wind began to blow with redoubled force. And as Rashid sank into silent wretchedness, the greeny-yellow mist with the toilet stink came rushing toward them across the lake. And the water was angrier than ever, slopping over the side of the swan boat and rocking it alarmingly from side to side, as if it were responding to Batu's fury. And also, in point of fact, to Haroon's growing anger at Batu's behavior. The mist enfolded the swan boat once again, and once again Haroon couldn't see a thing. What he heard were sounds of panic, the uniformed oarsmen crying out, Oh, oh, down we go, and the infuriated shrieks of Snooty Batu, who seemed to take the weather conditions as a personal insult. And the more shrieks and yelps there were, the rougher the waters became, and the hotter and more violent the wind. Flashes of lightning and rolls of thunder lit up the mist, creating weird neon-like effects. Haroon decided there was nothing for it but to put his moody land theory into practice. Okay, he shouted into the mist. Everybody listen. This is very important. Everybody, just stop talking. Not a word. Zip the lips. Dead silence is very important. On the count of three, one, two, three. A new note of authority had come into his voice, which surprised him as much as anyone. And as a result, the oarsmen in Butt 2 2 obeyed him without a murmur. At once, the boiling freeze fell away. The thunder and lightning stopped. Then Haroon made a conscious effort to control his irritation at Snooty Butt 2, 
and the waves calmed down the instant he cooled off. The smelly mist, however, remained. Just do one thing for me, Harun called to his father. Just this one thing. Think of the happiest times you can remember. Think of the view of the Valley of K we saw when we came through the Tunnel of I. Think of your wedding day, please. A few moments later, that malodorous mist tore apart like the shreds of an old shirt and drifted away on a cool night breeze. The moon shone down once more upon the waters of the lake. You see, Harun told his father, it wasn't only a story after all. Let's stop. What do you think about this? Um, what do you think about the scene? Okay, so Harun's sort of really um, growing up here and and demanding or receiving some attention from people. So he takes on this authority and and tells people what to do, and that people are listening. So in a way that Rashid had sort of been listened to. Uh, in the past, Harun is now being listened to, and, and people do calm down and think of these happy things which calm uh, the waters of the lake. Yeah, and, and there's a bit of role reversal there, because now we see his father, who is so sad that he almost can't get out of his own way, and he's depending on Harun to be more of a leader. Totally, and Harun even looks at his dad to say that whole, see, it wasn't a, a sto- only a story after all. Right, right. All right, so... Rashid actually laughed out loud in delight. You're a blinking good man in a tight spot, Harun Khalifa, he said with an emphatic nod. Hats off to you. Gullible, Mr. Rashid, cried Snooty Butt too. Surely you don't believe the lads hocusing and pocusing. Freak weather conditions came and then went. No more to be said. Harun kept his feelings about Mr. Butt too to himself. He knew what he knew, that the real world was full of magic, so magical worlds could easily be real. The houseboat was called Arabian Nights Plus One, because, as Mr. Buttu boasted, even in all the Arabian Nights you will never have a night like this. Each of its windows had been cut out in the shape of a fabulous bird, fish, or beast. The rock of Sinbad the Sailor, the whale that swallowed men, a fire-breathing dragon, and so on. Light blazed out through the windows so that the fantastic monsters were visible from some distance and seemed to be glowing in the dark. Harun followed Rashid and Mr. Buttu up a wooden ladder onto a veranda of intricately carved wood and into a living room with crystal chandeliers and throne-like seats with ornately brocaded cushions and walnut tables carved to look like flat-topped trees in which he could see tiny birds and also what looked like winged children but were, of course, fairies. The walls were lined with shelves full of leather-bound volumes, but most of these turned out to be fakes, concealing drinks cabinets and broom cupboards. One shelf, however, bore a set of real books written in a language Harun could not read, and illustrated with the strangest pictures he had ever seen. Erudite Mr. Rashid, Batu was saying, you and your line of work will be interested in these. Here for your delectation and edification is the entire collection of tales known as the Ocean of the Streams of Story. If you ever run out of material, you will find plenty in here. I guess I'm wondering here if the Ocean of the Streams of Story will become a plan B for Rashid if he can't get his stories back. Well, let's read on and find out. Run out? What are you saying? Rashid wildly asked, suddenly fearful that Batu had known all along about the terrible events in the town of G. But Batu patted him on the shoulder, Touchy, Mr. Rashid. It was only a joke, a passing lightness, a cloud blown away in the breeze. Of course we await your recital with full confidence. But Rashid was down in the dumps again. 
it was time to call it a day. The uniformed boatmen showed Rashid and Haroon to their bedrooms, which turned out to be even more opulent than the lounge. In the exact center of Rashid's room stood an enormous painted wooden peacock. With little flourishes of the arms, the boatman removed its back to reveal a large and comfortable bed. Haroon had the adjoining room, in which he found an equally outsized turtle, which likewise became a bed when the boatman removed its shell. Haroon felt a little peculiar at the notion of sleeping on a turtle whose shell had been removed, but, remembering his manners, he said, Thank you. It is very pleasant. Very pleasant, hooted Snooty Butt Two from the doorway. Inappropriate young person. You are aboard Arabian Nights Plus One. Very pleasant does not cover it at all. Admit, at the very least, that it is all super marveloso, incredible, and wholly fantastic. Rashid gave Haroon a look that said, we should have thrown this fellow into the lake while we had the chance, and interrupted but two screeches. It is, as Haroon has stated, very pleasant indeed. Now we will sleep. Good night. Batu stalked off to the swan boat in a great huff. If people have no taste, was his parting shot. The best things are a waste. Tomorrow, unappreciative Mr. Rashid, it is your turn. Let us see how very pleasant your audience finds you. That night, Haroon found it difficult to get to sleep. He lay on the turtle's back in his favorite long nightshirt, bright red with purple patches, and tossed and turned. And just as he was about to drop off at long last, he was woken up completely by noises from Rashid's room next door, a creaking and a rumbling and a groaning and a mumbling, and then a low cry. It's no use. I won't be able to do it. I'm finished. Finished for good. Haroon tiptoed to the connecting door and very carefully opened it, just a crack, and peeped. He saw the Shah of Blah in a plain blue nightshirt without any purple patches at all, pacing miserably around his peacock bed, muttering to himself while the floorboards creaked and moaned. Only praising tales, indeed. I am the ocean of notions, not some office boy for them to boss around. But no, what am I saying? I'll get up on stage and find nothing in my mouth but arcs. Then they'll slice me in pieces. It'll be all up with me, finito. Katam should. Much better to stop fooling myself, give it all up, go into retirement, cancel my subscription, because the magic's gone, gone forever, ever since she left. Oh, Mr. Doyle, I'm having a little bit of an emotional response here and feeling connected to this story because this just reminds me of something that's true across human nature for every child, that moment in your childhood or maybe late childhood or young adulthood when you sort of see that your parents are actually only human. So it reminds me of like the first time I saw my dad cry at a funeral or something, the idea that this person who I admired so much and had wiped my tears all of those uh, years was sort of showing his own humanity and some of his own weaknesses. Yeah, I agree with you. I have my own experiences with that as well. And I think that that moment of vulnerability um, is maybe another step for Haroon to to sort of take over and continue this role reversal where we see him taking care of, uh, of Rashid almost more than we see Rashid taking care of her. Yes, totally. I think a lot of that is happening in this chapter, and it's important to pay attention to that as we continue to read. 
So let's do that. Okay. Then he turned to stare at the connecting door and called loudly, Who's there? So there was nothing for it. Haroon had to say, It's me. I couldn't sleep. I think it's the turtle, he added. It's just too weird. Rashid nodded gravely. It's a funny thing, but I've been having trouble with this peacock myself. For me, a turtle would be better. How do you feel about the bird? Definitely better, Haroon admitted. A bird sounds okay. So Haroon and Rashid exchanged bedrooms, and that was why the water genie who visited Arabian Nights Plus One that night and crept into the peacock room found an unsleeping boy of about his own size staring him in the face. To be precise, Haroon had just dozed off when he was woken by a creaking and a rumbling and a groaning and a mumbling. So his first thought was that his father hadn't found the turtle any easier to sleep on than the peacock. Then he realized that the noise wasn't coming from the turtle room, but from his own bathroom. The bathroom door was open, and the light was on, and as Haroon watched, he saw, silhouetted in the open doorway, a figure almost too astonishing for words. It had an outsized onion for a head, and outsized aubergines for legs, and it was holding a toolbox in one hand, and what looked like a monkey wrench in the other. A burglar! Haroon tiptoed toward the bathroom. The being inside was talking non-stop in a mumbling, grumbling way. Put it in, take it out. The fellow comes up here, so I have to come and stall it. Rush job. Never mind my workload. Then, wham, bam, he cancels his subscription, and guess who has to come back and take the equipment out? Right away, pronto. You'd think there was a fire. Now, where did I put that blasted thing? Somebody been meddling? Can't trust anybody anymore. Okay, okay, let's be methodical. Hot tap, cold tap, go halfway in between, go up in the air six inches, and there should be your story tap. So where's it gone? Who's pinched it? Whoops, what's this? Oh, aha, is that where you are? Thought you could hide from me, but I've got you now. Okay, time to disconnect. While this remarkable monologue was being delivered, Harun Khalifa moved his head very, very slowly until half an eye was looking around the door jam into the bathroom, where he saw a small, ancient-looking man, no bigger than himself, wearing a huge purple turban on his head, that was the onion, in baggy silk pajamas, gathered at the ankles. Those were the aubergines. This little fellow sported an impressive full set of whiskers of a most unusual color, the palest, most delicate shade of sky blue. Okay, I just love this as an example of magical realism in action because Haroon is looking at this being in the bathroom and thinking that he is like an onion-headed weirdo guy. And then he realizes slowly that it is actually a human. He's just wearing a turban and has on these silk pajama pants. But then, just when you think that that was actually all he was seeing, the guy has this these whiskers and a beard of blue hair. I mean, that doesn't happen. <laughs> Rushdie is saying like, oh, you know, yes, there are some real parts to this, but I'm not going to take the magic away. Beautifully said. I don't think I have to add anything <laughs> to that. So good job. Moving on. Okay. Haroon had never seen blue hair before and leaned forward a little in curiosity, whereupon to his horror, the floorboard on which he stood emitted a loud, unarguable creak. The blue beard whirled around, spun all the way around three times and disappeared. But in his haste, he let the monkey wrench fall from his hand. Haroon dashed into the bathroom, grabbed it, and held it close. 
Slowly, and in what seemed like a most disgruntled fashion, though it was hard for Haroon to be sure of this, as he had never seen anyone materializing before, the little bluebeard reappeared in the bathroom. No kidding. Enough's enough. Party's over. Fair's fair, he snapped. Give it back. No, replied Haroon. The disconnector, the other pointed. Hand it over. Return to sender. Restore to rightful owner. Give up. Yield. Surrender. Now Haroon noticed that the tool he held was no more like a monkey wrench than the bluebeard's head was like an onion. In other words, it had the general outline of a wrench, but it was somehow more fluid than solid, and was made up of thousands of little veins flowing with differently colored liquids, all held together by some unbelievable, invisible force. It was beautiful. You're not getting it back, Haroon said firmly, until you tell me what you're doing here. Are you a burglar? Shall I call the cops? Mission impossible to divulge, the little man sulked. Top secret, classified, eyes-only info. Certainly not to be revealed to smarty-pants boys in red nightshirts with purple patches who snatch what isn't theirs and then accuse other people of being thieves. Very well, Haroon said, then I'll wake my father. No, said the bluebeard sharply. No adults. Rules and regulations, totally forbidden. More than my job's worth. Oh, I knew this would be a terrible day. I'm waiting said Haroon severely. The little fellow drew himself up to his full height. I am the water genie if, he said crossly, from the ocean of the streams of story. Haroon's heart thumped. Are you trying to claim you're really one of those genies my father told me about? Supplier of story water from the great story sea, the other bowed. Precisely the same. None other. It is I. However, I regret to report the gentleman no longer requires the service. He has discontinued narrative activities, thrown in the towel, packed it in. He has canceled his subscription, hence my presence, for purposes of disconnection. To which end, please return my tool. Not so fast, said Haroon, whose head was spinning not only at the discovery that there really were water genies, that the great story C wasn't only a story, but also at the revelation that Rashid had quit, given up, buttoned his lip. I don't believe you, he said to the genie if. How did he send the message? I've been right with him almost all the time. He sent it by the usual means, if shrugged, a P2C2E. And what is that? Obvious, said the water genie with a wicked grin. It's a process too complicated to explain. Then he saw how upset Haroon was, and added, In this case, it involves thought beams. We tune in and listen to his thoughts. It's an advanced technology. Should talk about P2C. Yes, it just confuses me. Yeah, well, we mentioned earlier in the first chapter that there are these weird interruptions to the story where... Uh, certain phrases or words are capitalized, making them seem more important. P2C2E seems to be a proper noun. It's an important concept in the book, and, um, and we will be seeing it several more times. Okay. All right. Advanced or not, Haroon retorted, you've made a mistake this time. You're up the spout. You've got the wrong end of the stick. He heard himself beginning to sound like the water genie and shook his head to clear it. My father has definitely not given up. You can't cut off his story water supply. Orders, said If. All queries to be taken up with the Grand Comptroller. 
Grand Comptroller of what? Haroon wanted to know. Of the processes too complicated to explain, of course, at P2C2E House, Gup City, Kahani. All letters to be addressed to the walrus. Who's the walrus? Uh, you don't concentrate, do you? If replied. At P2C2E House in Gup City, there are many brilliant persons employed, but there is only one Grand Comptroller. They are the eggheads. He is the walrus. Got it now? Understood? This is reminding me of a Beatles song. Is that the correct allusion? I don't know. Could you sing maybe a little bit? I am the walrus. Cuckoo, 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 cuckoo. And we're back. (laughs) Let's get back into the reading. Okay. Haroon absorbed all this information. And how does the letter get there, he asked. The water genie giggled softly. It doesn't, he answered. You see the beauty of the scheme? I certainly don't, Haroon retorted. And anyway, even if you do turn off your story water... My father will still be able to tell stories. Anybody can tell stories, if replied. Liars and cheats and crooks, for example. But for stories with that extra ingredient, ah, for those, even the best storytellers need the story waters. Storytelling needs fuel just like a car. And if you don't have the water, you just run out of steam. Why should I believe a word you say, Haroon argued. When I can't see anything in this bathroom except for a perfectly ordinary bath, toilet, basin, and some perfectly ordinary taps marked cold and hot. I want to stop here because does that quote remind you of anything that we've already discussed in this book? Yes. It reminds me of that idea about the milkman. Just because you're not awake for the milkman doesn't mean it's not there or something like that. It's all about just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not real. And I think as we read in these next pages, Haroon is kind of challenged by that idea. So we'll have to read and see what he does with that. But as the reader, we should be asking a lot of questions. Hopefully Haroon is going to get some of those answers for us as we read on. All right. Picking up from the point where Haroon can only find the ordinary water tabs marked cold and hot. Feel here, said the water genie, pointing to a patch of empty air six inches above the basin. Take the disconnecting tool and just... Tap it against this space where you imagine nothing to be. Dubiously suspecting a trick, and only after instructing the water genie to stand well back, Haroon did as he was told. Ding! went the disconnecting tool as it struck something extremely solid and extremely invisible. There she blows, cried the water genie, grinning widely. The story tap. Voila! I still don't get it, Haroon frowned. Where is this ocean of yours? And how does the story water get into this invisible tap? How does the plumbing work? He saw the wicked glint in If's eye and answered his own question with a sigh. Don't tell me. I know. By a process too complicated to explain. Bullseye, said the water genie. Got it in one. Ten out of ten. Spot on. Now Haroon Khalifa made a decision that would prove to be the most important decision of his life. Mr. If... He said politely but firmly, You must take me to Gup City to see the walrus, so that I can get this stupid blunder about my father's water supply reversed before it's too late. If shook his head and spread his arms wide. Impossible, he said. No can do. It's off the menu. Don't even dream about it. Access to Gup City and Kahani 
by the shores of the ocean of the streams of story is strictly restricted, completely forbidden, 100% banned, except to accredited personnel, like, for instance, me. But you? No chance, not in a million years, no way, Jose. In which case, Haroon said sweetly, you'll just have to go back without this. And here he waved the disconnecting tool in the blue beard's face. And see how they like that. There was a long silence. Okay, said the water genie. You got me banged to rights. It's a done deal. Let's make tracks. Scram. Vamoose. I mean, if we're going, let's go. Haroon's heart sank rapidly toward his toes. You mean, he stammered. Now? Now, said If. Haroon took a slow, deep breath. All right, then, he said. Now. And that brings us to our what, 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 what? HLC takeaways. Takeaway number one. What you got, what you got, what you got, Ach? I think it's really important to notice this role reversal between Haroon and Rashid. So this is really a turning point in the book in that way. Um, Haroon is taking some major leadership. He's echoing a lot of the lessons that he's learned from his dad through the years, but he's starting to kind of take care of his dad and doing things to make sure his dad is okay rather than being the one who's being taken care of. I love that. And our takeaway number two is... Um, the theme of magical realism really stepped up over the uh, over the course of the past chapter. Between the dull lake changing with the mood, like in, in the moody land, um, when people were happy, the weather became much more beautiful. When people were sad, it uh, became stormy. And then um, right down to if the water genie sneaking in and uh, having like an onion head and blue a blue beard, and you're not sure like how realistic this guy is, the theme of magical realism is sort of dripping off the page in in this chapter. And I think the third takeaway would be that idea that Haroon is kind of struggling with what re- what is real and what is make-believe. A lot of times magical realism is that way for the reader. You don't really know what, what things you're supposed to believe and where you have to kind of let your mind go. So Haroon is feeling that too and really kind of trying to figure out which things are real and which things are make-believe. And I think that's kind of be a theme that carries us throughout this whole book. Yeah, I, I would agree. And Something that we're going to be talking a lot about throughout the course of this book and throughout the rest of the reading curriculum this year is the hero's journey. And in Haroon's hero's journey, this is the point where he is crossing over into the unknown, where uh, where the regular world around him sort of uh, disappears and from here on, he's going to be in very unfamiliar ter- territory. So stay tuned to see uh, to see how that goes. Smash that subscribe button, like, post up an emoji. What do you say, Arch? Cuckoo, kachoo.